You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to a very special episode. We are at the Long Island Library Resource Council annual conference for libraries in the future. So I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And we are here today at the beautiful Heritage Club in Bethpage. And we are here speaking with... Uh, Tim Spindler. I'm the executive director of the Long Island The Library. new executive director. Yes, the new one. <laughs> Thank you, first of all, for having us, because we always love doing this. This is our second year doing it with you guys. And uh, congratulations on, on the new job. Oh, thank you. So tell us about uh, what's going to happen today. Um, well, we are, have our first speaker from Girls Who Code, Betsy Rivera. Um, she's going to talk about that important program. I don't know if either of you have been involved with the Girls Who Code program. I definitely read up on it. I think yeah, our libraries yeah. had them, over, had them a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a great program, I think, you know, which encourages women and uh, girls, actually, to get involved in STEM and, and, and technology. Um, our second speaker is Santisha Kendrick-Samuel um, from Uniondale, who's done a lot of really innovative things with uh, youth programming. Um, I know she's done something, I believe it was with the Merrick Farm, getting young adults and I think it's uh, teens, and I'm not sure which the proper term is now, <laughs> <laughs> to um, go on to Merrick Farm and do a program there. And she's going to be talking a lot, of, a lot of things she's been doing at Uniondale. And just so you know, she was a mover and shaker, I think, in 2016 with Library Journal. Oh, very cool. So Let's put her on the list, Chris. Put her um, on the list. Put her on the list. <laughs> and last is uh, David Beard. I was speaking to him a lot last night. He's a journalist. Um, um, I know he lives up in Boston. I was talking a lot about Boston yesterday. <laughs> you know, he, he has a lot of interesting ideas about how uh, news and journalism can get involved in, in, in libraries themselves, too, and what libraries can role can play in that. Sounds like an exciting lineup. So tell us a little bit about your background since you're kind of the, the new guy on the block. Oh, um, I've got a, I, well, I've been working in libraries and archives for about 25 years now. I started off at a little museum called the Circus World Museum in Wisconsin, which is on the original winter quarters right. of the Barnum and Bailey, Ringling Brothers Circus. I'm sorry, it wasn't Barnum and Bailey that time. And I uh, worked through archives. I worked through some university jobs. And then I, coming to Lyric, I was the executive director of CWMRs, which was a consortium of libraries in central and western Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So it was about 150 libraries, mostly publics, although we had some academics providing the, uh, the ILS for them. Um, one of the things we did is we did a migration to open source software, um, Evergreen. Um, and we How'd that go? It was, it was a difficult transition. The migration, yeah. as you can imagine, any sure. migration is difficult. Um, and actually, you're probably going through it with Stony Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going from to Evergreen? Uh, Triple I Innovators. Okay, yeah, uh, so that's an interesting migration. Uh, it was Millennium. That's a tough right. migration. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, getting the data out of the system yeah. is always difficult with yep. innovative. But it went well. The big thing is, you know, we got a lot of control over our costs. We got a lot of control over... Um, the system, you know, having full access to the system. While I was there, we hired a developer, and then we hired a systems developer, too, also on top of him to help us out. And so a systems developer was a core committer for the Evergreen community, so he wrote code for us, can submit it, and, you know, enhanced our capabilities. Um, the great thing, though, about open source, too, is just so people don't think you have to hire systems people and developers, there's... Yeah. Uh, out-of-the-box solutions, you know, there's vendors yeah. like Equinox and um, Emerald and others 
who do that. Mobius, actually, in Missouri is now doing it, too. And they're doing it cloud-based. Well, that seems to be the new trend now, doing everything cloud-based. Yeah. I guess, I guess for, for our listeners, right, so Evergreen is an open-source ILS. Yes. And what makes it so nice about transferring to or migrating to is it becomes a data repository that you can now do whatever you want with it. You yes. can develop against it any way that you feel you know, necessary. Yeah, you want to just be careful about forking it because yeah, right? <laughs> uh, if you, you know, there's a core set of code that's involved with it, and, yeah. and then if you fork it, and it won't. Right, too far it's not, from that. Right? It's not accepted yeah. into it. Yeah. But there are certain portions of it that are designed to be customized in certain ways. But and it, with the data, like you said, with a data repository, I know there are some uh, users who create additional tables and things in the database yeah. they use for specialized purposes. Uh, we did that too. We had some where we were doing state tracking certain statistics and putting them into a table for the annual reports that our member libraries had to submit to the state. And so they could just grab those and it was in a one clean package. And it's really nice because if you want to develop something like that, you're not hinged on, you know, contacting the ILS, them saying it's not available or that'll come in a release in four years, you know, something like that. You can kind of just get into it, yeah. get down to the nitty gritty. And, and like you said, there's some packages out there that you can implement or you can actually custom develop it, you know, yeah. and uh, it works out so much better sometimes than a um, than a packaged ILS. Than a packaged ILS, yeah. 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 So tell us about your transition here to Long Island. Well, it's surprisingly the drivers are nicer. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, than Massachusetts? Yes. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was used to driving around Boston some too, so <laughs> there, there's heavy traffic there, even worse. That's combat so. driving. Yeah. yeah. So the rumors are true, huh? Driving up there is just worse. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but um, it's, a, it's a little different, you know, the role of Lilric versus CWMRs is a bit different. Um, CWMRs, we were supporting an ILS and other services, whereas Lilric is an organization that provides a lot of CE programming and other services for libraries. And so looking at how we fit in, um, and I've been talking a lot to Kevin Verbisi mm -hmm. and Jackie Thresher, although she's retiring, <laughs> from NLS to see you know, where you know, we can fit. I think one of the advantages Lilric has um, is that we cross all types, so we serve public, academic, special, hospital libraries. Yeah. So we've got a lot of different things. Um, I think, you know, looking forward, we're looking to increase our programming, improve it in ways we can, get more feedback from the libraries. Um, one of the things we're looking at doing, too, we're starting in January, actually, is for member libraries, they'll get free uh, access to our CE programming. So we've been charging for that mm -hmm. um, at a lower rate for members, but we're going to just drop the charges completely. The other thing we're looking at doing is start giving out some innovation grants next year. I'm working on how we're going to do that right now. But, um, That's so exciting. So Sachem and Emma can submit now then. For that. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, funny, having been in the field for so long, uh, Chris and I, we've worked with Little Rick in many capacities over the last you know, 15 or 20 years, and we kind of view you guys as the open source solution oh, you know, okay. because you're not, you're not locked in to do uh, A, B, and C. You, know, yes. you can kind of reach out and go in any direction that you feel like going, and it's worked out you know, in fantastic ways for all of us. So. Mm -hmm. so. Oh, that's good to hear. And you're kind of you're um, you're by county too, so that's kind of yeah. a helpful thing yeah. too. I know what we do with the Technology Information Forum, meaning uh, we do we meet with NASA twice a year. Okay. So I understand now how important it is to communicate across the border into Nassau County, yeah. and you guys have been doing it forever. Yeah. Um, so it it's something that with being a subdivision of SCLA, it's it's just nice to reach across the border because you know they're doing the same thing we're doing. Yeah, and it makes so much sense to share and collaborate with them because there's a lot of great talent over there, mm -hmm. and everybody has great ideas. And the more people that are in your pool to collaborate with, 
uh, I think it, the better. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, and the other thing is I think Lilware can play a role in enhancing those communication channels. Um, one of the things we did in July, we switched over to Google Groups um, and started creating some distribution lists and things to, to um, that hadn't been done before. To just Not that it's being used heavily, but it's there. <laughs> and, and we actually did the same thing with, uh, with the TIFF group. We have a Google Group as well. Yeah. It just, it, listservs are nice but Google Groups seem to work just a little bit better mm -hmm. to communicate. And like you say, it's not being lit up every single day, but yeah. if somebody has a question, it's nice to see somebody put something out there. Maybe it's Britt out in Montauk, mm -hmm. and then um, James from over in, um, in the five towns will, uh, will answer back. So now you're talking somebody who's on the Queens border talking to somebody in Montauk that yeah. didn't happen before. So I'm okay with it not being lit up 100 times a day. Mm -hmm. It's not that kind of interaction. It's it's like a helpline almost. Yeah. Or, you know, something to put out there if somebody has a question. Yeah. And it's nice to have all that under your control now, right? Yeah. Whereas opposed to, you know, we used to rely on other listservs that could go up, they could go down, they change hosting providers, they change format, mm -hmm. and you have no control over it. Crazy so now, rules. Now you folks yeah. can, can control everything they see and how they see it. Yeah. Uh, and I, th I think it's, uh, it's a great way to go. So. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And why we're not collaborating with Nassau County more yeah. doesn't make sense to me yeah. uh, because they have a, a depth and breadth of knowledge that is parallel to us and maybe they're doing things with a little bit more of a twist to it that maybe we haven't seen mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we've done we've had at least I think six or eight meetings with the Nassau people and it's always an eye-opener it's always so much fun mm -hmm. and we share with each other and it, it really even now with the Google group it's expanded even more to the point where we even forget that we're Nassau and Suffolk a lot of libraries in Nassau, like you were saying, Chris, there's a couple that have done the heavy lifting. You know, they've invented the wheel mm -hmm. in that direction, and, and Suffolk is, is, in some places, still trying to really do these things, and they can really learn from Nassau and glean uh, what, they're, what they've been doing. So. Mm -hmm. And it breaks down some of the stereotypes, too. Yeah. You know, the Suffolk libraries have some, you know, and not just libraries, but librarians, and you know, they have these preconceived notions of what they think Nassau is like, and Nassau has these preconceived notions of what they think Suffolk is yeah. like and we're kind of breaking down those barriers now and um, it's just nice to know that you have colleagues on the other in the other county that are thinking yeah. the same way you are so the yeah. Google group thing is a, is a perfect way of doing that they've been missing out on so much talent in either county sure you know uh, and sharing that so yeah mm -hmm. so tell us a little more about um I love the, the title fix the future oh. you know, access uh, innovation opportunities so tell us a little more about uh, your vision for that and how how public libraries can can kind of um, assist with that I think one of the areas where I, I see the future a lot is I see in industry they, they get a lot, do a lot of marketing research and really have in-depth understanding of who their customer base is. Um, I think some libraries do this well, some libraries do this poorly. I think that's where it begins. It, once libraries know who their customers are down to you know little sections of their demographic um, I think is really important in understanding that and responding to that because I don't know how many times I've been at some social event talking to somebody and you know I tell them oh I just got this book from Overdrive on on my Kindle and I'm reading it and they didn't realize that libraries were checking out ebooks yeah. <laughs> and to me there's a breakdown in communication and marketing and you're not reaching a certain amount of people when somebody's not using those services um, I think the other issue in it is um, when people choose to buy from Amazon, a book from Amazon, rather than borrow it from the library. Um, I've heard plenty of people talk about that, and you know, why aren't they thinking about the library first? Um, I think that's something we want to try and advocate and get libraries yeah. to think about. Think of the library first. 
for getting their books or other information needs always. That's right. And to your point, um, it seems like we've always talked to our staff about um, the services that we offer, the databases that we've subscribed to. And like ad nauseum, we talk all the time at all the department manager meetings, all the staff meetings about this new database that came out, but the public still hasn't grasped it. Yeah. You know, so, and, and we think we've marketed it. We think we've talked about it. The staff is tired of hearing about it, but the public doesn't even know about it. Yeah. You know, because we haven't gotten, we haven't got them, you know, where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, asking you know, who are we serving and why are we serving them? And then answering the how are we serving them, right? Yes. And then how are we reaching them? I think that's a, a great point. Marketing is the is the deal. They don't even know about the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars in databases that we subscribe to, mm-hmm. that they have no clue they can uh, repair their car, like all data. All mm-hmm. data would cost them a fortune. Yeah. It would cost them fifteen or eighteen thousand dollars a year if they got their own subscription. Sure. And they can come into the library and print up schematics and designs and, you know, Chris, you've shared in the past Sachem Library. You've had mechanics walk in. Yeah. You know, dirty, sit, sit down at a computer and print out some schematics to go, to go back and work on their car. I mean, that's the kind of thing, like, the patrons have to know that these things are already provided for, and mm-hmm. here, here they are, just come and use them. And for most part, they don't even have to come in the library. I mean, we want them to, but most of this is accessible yeah. from alternate locations as well. You know? Yeah. Can I jump um, in on one thing there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Chris, go ahead. Chris Kretz, right? Yeah, I've been lurking here. The, the, <laughs> the, uh, the guru of of Long Island podcast. Well, it's just interesting. I was talking uh, at breakfast here with a, a first-timer, a oh. librarian from Oceanside who's coming for the first time, and I was talking to her, and I was thinking back how many times I've been here. But to your point about the title, in the committee, the planning committee, it's always the most interesting conversation is coming up with the title. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I think once we have a title, everything kind of hangs around that. And you that. get the so, theme right after that. And, yeah. and I just had an idea. I'll pitch to them next next meeting. It would be interesting to have um, – the participants just submit a title for next year, yeah, and then we idea. have to come up with a package. Oh, that's, <laughs> an idea. Yeah, that's an idea. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's great. It's definitely a great lineup, and I'm, and I'm looking yeah. forward to it, too. Yeah. You know, one one thing that I think, going back to the, the point that Bob was making before, in communicating with the patrons, we can use the, we sometimes get lost in library speak when we're trying to market things to oh, patrons, yes. where we're talking about databases. If they're an older person, they hear databases, they turn off. Younger people like databases. That's like what C prompt old well, the name, green the name screen alone, stuff. The name alone really messes right. it all. So instead of it, it's marketing, it's yeah. it's more about how you sell it versus what it actually is. So we we know their databases, but if we can say fix your car with this great software we have at the library, use use different words, software, um, tool, you know, something that's a little more generic. And I think that's something that libraries have to work on a little bit more. Is is the yeah. The moving away from library speak and more into like a common vernacular. Yeah, and part of that I think is understanding your market segments and what communication channels they're listening to, what language they understand. Um, um, at Worcester Public Library in Massachusetts, a few years ago they hired a communications and marketing person, and who's done an excellent job in reaching out to the community. So they and this person is not a librarian; she's a communications and marketing specialist. She worked for nonprofits right. before. And so she works on getting their message out, um, including writing press releases and whatever she needs to do for the local papers and things like that. Um, but also they do a lot on researching their population and understanding who they are and how to reach it. And if they want to target a program for a specific population, they can do it. Um, if you're not familiar, Worcester is a large urban area with a diverse population. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of communities in Long Island, I'm learning, that, that are like that way. Yeah. Yeah. So. It would just spread out differently than it would be in like a city center like in Worcester. Yeah. 
So, so guys, it's it's about nine o'clock. I'm 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 adopting the role of showrunner for you guys. I'm Love on, you. On Twitter, executive producer Chris Pratt. Thank Kratz. you for doing that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it's nine oh five. Okay. Um, and we're we're kicking off at nine thirty. I'm gonna have to get going here. So okay. I'll try okay. to wrangle up uh, another. Be great. Yeah. Okay. That's excellent. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for coming in. Our pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Okay, we're back with Charlene Muir, the Assistant Library Director at Half Hollow Hills Community Library. And one half of the podcast. Yes, and one half of our podcast. My former co-host, Ellen Druder, retired. That's $11. $11 now. Every time. <laughs> Every time. And we have to pick up our podcast with my new co-host, Sharon McDevitt. She's our program person from Half Hollow Hills, so I'm really excited to start that. In the moment, we are getting ready for our move. We're closing the library, our branch, Dix Hills Branch, on October 31st. It's an exciting project. Wow. So <laughs> we will be relocating to Chestnut Hill, one of the closed schools of the district, and we will begin our demolition, hopefully within the next month or so. That's so exciting. Really exciting time. So we've kind of put off, since Ellen has retired in May, we've kind of stopped podcasting or doing our live podcast. So we hope to um, get back to that. I just saw Chris in the lobby and he said, so are you going to start to rebroadcast or start broadcasting with your new co-host? So we've kind of put that on the back burner. And we've spoken about it. It's just that things are a little crazy between everything happening at Melville, right. all our holes all our pass, uh, museum passes, everything's moved to Melville. Okay. All our deliveries. So they've been working as our main branch, and we've been slowly closing down. Wow. So the doors close the 31st. The move has come November 1st, and we are hoping, hoping to open up at Chestnut Hill on Monday, November 19th. So the board has decided that they're going to open both library, the main well, I should say Melville and Chestnut Hill. <laughs> they will now be open Friday nights and Sunday. So we're anticipating a lot going on. We just put in a new parking lot for Melville, anticipating everybody probably using that library branch for about two weeks. It looks beautiful. So tell us a little bit about why it's necessary. You mean the building? Yeah. Okay. So um, over the years, over the decades, um, Half Hollow Hills was expanded right prior to where I started. I started in September 90, and they had done a, a um, building expansion with Jerry Nichols back in the late 80s. My husband was a reference librarian then. And um, it really met the needs of the time now. But because of all the changes, as you both know, in libraries, from technology to community needs to the internet, um, our building floods, our community room floods. When I say floods, it floods where we have to cancel programs to the dismay of our um, patrons and our community groups. Our internet access is not. I mean, I don't get really much in my office. And then I can go down the hallway and maybe I'll get a better signal from Helen's. Um, the way that the building was constructed, there's um, much more, well, how can I say, unused space, space that's really not for patrons. So with our new building, 80% of the new building will be for patrons. 
which is a great, you know, yeah. uh, the proportion of what it is now yeah. to what it will be. We will have, um, don't hold me to these numbers, but probably close to 10 community areas that people can come and uh, meet at the library. That's great. Right now we have four, and what we've done is we've taken away, we used to have an internet room, now our computers are on the floor. So we've utilized that space for a meeting room. Uh, we used to have a program room, we took that away, we put them in a little cubby, and um, we use that space. We do not have enough. And you know from being at other libraries, the demand for meeting spaces is so large that uh, you can't you can't compete you just can't there's no place for these people to meet no longer do they meet in the homes or the schools so they come to the libraries yeah. so we're a community space also we're a place where people come you know there's no place that anybody can come and get an answer for where do you go people are cutting back on um, hiring because they just can't handle it financially. It's always the bottom line. And yet there are libraries that are helping people with their taxes. They're helping people with their medical questions. They're helping them with passports. I mean, there's so much that libraries have expanded to. You know, we are the educators. We are the place where people go from birth to when they, when they age out or age out or become senior citizens or till the end of their life. They come to us for the answers. And we are the Google search of the community. Well, you know, it's interesting. I always say this to people. Um, and for those who have heard me say it on the podcast, again, I apologize. But we're the only government agency that's there to help you, really help you, not get in line and fill out this form. You can walk into the building and ask a reference librarian a question and get an answer and probably get materials also that you can take out, whether it's something we've printed or there's a print material that we could take out or maybe you're, you're borrowing a hotspot or a laptop or, or something else. And there's no real cost to any of those services no. other than what you've paid in your property taxes. So no. And the dedication to that librarian exactly. that will find the answer for you even if you go home and they call you up mm -hmm. because they want to help. And that's why most people in libraries go into this profession because you feel good about helping people. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what we're there to do. We're not there to say next, take a number, fill out this form. Right. Uh, yeah, we do have They don't go to the forms. Apple store and take a number and wait there forever. They right. come in with their item boxed and you help them open <laughs> it up from the company right. and show them how to use it because and they just don't know. And the depth and breadth of what libraries do has expanded to yes. the point now where it's almost a 360 degree view. Always nice talking to you gentlemen. Absolutely. It's always nice talking to See you soon. one half of that podcast. One half of... <laughs> In yep. the stacks. In the stacks. What's the, what's the, give us a plug for the website? Yeah. In the stacks podcast. What is it? Is it .com or .org? I believe it's .com, in the isn't stacks it? Yes. In the stacks podcast .com. And audience, you'll still find me in the stacks. I love it. All right. I'm, I'm the showrunner, so I'm just. So oh. we're transitioning You're now to a new guest. So who Hi. do we have here today? Teresa Schwinn from Huntington Library. Thank you for inviting me. No, thanks for coming thanks, in. Thanks for this coming is always absolutely. fun to meet new people. This is yeah. great. So tell us about Huntington Library. So Are you the one down in the village? We're down in the down village. Down in the village. We also have a station branch in Huntington Station. 
Um, I was asked to come today just to speak a little bit about the local history and the rich history of Huntington. Um, Huntington Library actually is one, I can't prove it, the first library in Suffolk County. Um, a little bit of competition with Sag Harbor. <laughs> they can't prove anything, so I'll claim it. <laughs> Wait till Eric gets here. I was going to say, <laughs> no disrespect to Eric Cohen, right? Yeah. Um, so our roots go very, very far back. And uh, the collection in the local history room actually reflects a lot of theological thinking uh, back in the late 1700s, the 1800s. We have rare books, original documents, um, original Walt Whitman material. That's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, as well as maps and everything that you can think of, a little bit of everything. The other um, advantage that we have in being in the village is uh, we're within walking distance of the Huntington Historical Society, the town archives, and the town historian. So we have a great network of people and a very active history uh, community. Um, as far as the library is concerned, we have a very active, I heard you previously speaking about shh, yeah. no yes. food. <laughs> no. Remember the word no, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. long gone in Huntington. Yeah, sure yeah. Because we're in the village, people walk in with Starbucks and you know, yeah. That's all. Prime location. You guys yeah. are right on the sidewalk. I mean, you, well, you know, yeah. isn't it funny we're always so concerned about pouring coffee on a keyboard? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and keyboards are, you know, such a like, nominal like four cost. Four bucks an hour, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the IT people used to be a little yeah, weary of. Um, and people are pretty respective, uh, respectful of bringing food by the yeah. keyboards and such. Yeah. But, and now that they're all in ones, you know, you don't have. It'd be tough to spill the bulk. coffee on the computer yeah, there's now. Yeah. There's, there's no, no CPU anymore. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So it is very active. We have, um, like I said, we have two branches. The station we're celebrating 90 years uh, next year in 2019 of being a part of the station community. Mm. Um, so <coughs> it's it's a very diverse community. We have from very affluent. Uh, members right. to low income and everything in between so okay. it's never boring every day is different <laughs> I love Huntington and they serve them all equally and, and what's your what's your population base population it's about there, 33 yeah. yeah so they're not a small I mean they're no it's know, medium -sized and that's just the sure, school yeah. district yeah right yeah. yeah and they're yeah. never not busy they're always busy always yeah. busy and what a great location yeah and Cold Spring Harbor is right over the hill so we do get members from Cold yeah. Spring and their view is a little bit different yeah. Through the harbor, but you know, yes. but Huntington's very accessible. Like yes, that much, yeah. yes. And you have a great view as well because mm -hmm. it's so bu such a busy town. You know, yes, so and one place. of the benefits of working there is you can walk out of the building and go get and have whatever. Yeah, right there. Well, I was just going to say it, it was part of what what's happening on the land the revitalization of the downtowns. Yes, the villages, so yeah, Huntington, sure. Huntington, Patchogue, Patchogue's huge. Yeah. Um, Bayshore. Yeah. There's been all these revitalizations of, of downtowns that make them inviting places. Maybe a little challenging for parking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a little expensive for parking. Yeah, yeah. but still, it's, it's, it's such an, an exciting time for Long Island because there's been this resurgence. Um, and Huntington is absolutely part of that. Yeah. It's we really have a lot exciting. of new downtown apartments built. Yeah. But yeah. parking is what it is, you know, and people who enjoy yeah. it, they walk. Mm hmm. 
you know, it's not that big of a deal. What's next? What's new at the Huntington Library? What are you guys working on that's, that the patrons and, and staff can kind of uh, look We're working to? actually on renovating okay, great. the building. A lot that's of building projects thing. going on. A lot of building projects, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. The last one was almost 20 years ago, believe wow. it or not. Both wow. the branch so, and the main, or are you looking to do just the main right now? We're doing the main right now. Um, we did increase our space at the station, so we own lease out the whole building at the station at this point and we'll see in a few years what happens there Great. Okay. Fantastic. exciting stuff right. thank you so much thank for you coming so in. much yeah. thanks for coming on have a great day you too thanks. thank you Okay, we're back with some new people who are joining us. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Natalie Corsavitas. I'm the head of local history at the Farmingdale Public Library. And my name is Albert Tablanti, and I work at uh, Youth Services. I'm a librarian, too, at Freeport Memorial Library. Now, before we turn the mics back on, we were just kind of vetching a little bit about how great it is that Nassau and Suffolk are trying to collaborate a little bit more, and we were talking about the Google Groups that we were talking about before. Um, so we definitely want more Nassau involvement with what we're doing in Suffolk, and we'd love to do more with what you're doing over in, in Nassau. I, I do a lot of stuff with James Hutter over in Port Washington. You know, he's opened the door for us to, to be more involved with, with what's going on in Nassau. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, what you guys do at your libraries and how you involve some tech involved with what you're doing. For archiving, I'm sure, right? Well, yes. Um, I'm the first local history librarian in a while over there. Oh, so, so you have a pile, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, we house the Farmingdale Bethpage archives in our building. Mm -hmm. So they were nice enough to buy me a scanner, and I learned all about Content DM, and I've digitized a good chunk of what they have downstairs. Now, I know it sounds boring, but... Do you, I really like digitizing stuff, don't you? I love it. <laughs> it's so much fun because then you can tweak afterwards. I tw we have, uh, there's this great free, like, that you can add watermarks and play with mm -hmm. and, you know, change the lighting and the shading and make the picture a little better. Right. So I have fun with it, honestly. So cool. Yeah. So tell us about what you're doing over at Freeport. Uh, well, I'll tell you, before I was at Freeport, I was at Brooklyn Public Library. And I'm, okay, I've only so been at Freeport. he's a professional guy now. Yeah. He's, yes, 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 because I'm from the city. Anyway, the city guys. You know. But now I live in Nassau. Yeah. At Brooklyn Public Library, um, I had a, a coding program over there. Uh -huh. And uh, I had an outside contractor come in, mm -hmm. and I got the funding for that. And that's, uh, you know, uh, something I did over there. But what I'm doing here at Nassau is... Uh, Actually, a lot of the softer skills, like uh, I, I run a guitar program. I have an outside contractor for that. Wow. Which is, uh, so you know, cool. we, we do have a coding club. I'm not the one that runs it. There's a librarian that was there. His name is Jason, mm -hmm. and he's, he's very competent. He's a great guy, and he runs the uh, coding club presently. Um, I'm here with my library director, and uh, we just saw the Girls Who Code program just mm -hmm. now. And uh, one of the questions I asked is, can you have a male facilitator? And uh, I think that my library director is going to let me go move forward with the Girls Who Code program. I have experience in running programs like this. And, uh, you know, the facilitator said that, uh, you know, they could have males uh, facilitate <laughs> Girls Who Code. Well, that's actually an interesting thing to think about, too, because if it's Girls Who Code, does it have to be a, a female instructor with 
with regard to comfort level and things like that. And I asked, and she said it's okay to have male instructors. Okay. And what I plan on doing, and I talked to the library director about it, is that uh, having a female partner so we could do it together. So so you know so we will have. Uh, and they, they were stressing sisterhood. I, I don't know about me and sisterhood, but <laughs> <laughs> you know it's an equal opportunity today. But you know, uh, uh, and she says that they don't discriminate. But I guess if I'm doing it with the female. I think uh, it would be more comfortable it for girls. It just lends itself code. towards com- being more comfortable for the kids. Yeah. Yes, and, and to what, what the mission is, right. which is gender parity. Great staff over there at Freeport to help you out with that. I know many of the people over there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we have many competent women and, and charismatic women that I think that, that uh, will partner with me. That's great. It's always a great thing to introduce coding, especially when it comes to girls, because it's always male-heavy when you're doing any kind of coding thing. And they all think they want to make a Minecraft in a uh. game. It's like, yeah, it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, there's more it's than that. that. Yes. Yeah. It's always good to give them... Uh, we haven't... Over at Sachem, where I work, uh, we haven't... We've done girls who code and things like that, but I'd like to start something where we start with a problem as opposed to something that's predetermined. And depending on skill level and how we're going to code, what we're going to code with, try to find a solution to that problem using code. I think that's it's it's a good model to drive towards something as opposed to saying, oh, today we're going to make the millipede game. You know, it makes it more real life as opposed to, okay, we're going to have fun playing now. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Well, that's what I loved about to the projects they mentioned. They had that water project where it was like a whole website about reducing your water usage, and then another girl group created that whole anonymous app for cyberbullying. That's awesome. It like really is using amazing. real world right. and it's you can the facilitator can brainstorm with the kids and, and so it would be children led, which is perfect. Isn't it interesting how exciting the world is gonna be in twenty years? Because it, and I see this now because my daughter's looking at colleges. We were kids, you know, our parents wanted us to be doctors, lawyers, you know, that kind of traditional stuff where that's where you sort of, oh, that's where the big money is and that's what I want you to be. That's, that's the definition of success. Where now it's all about engineering. I want to be a chemical engineer. I want to be a mechanical engineer. I want to be a structural engineer. Or they want you to be a coder in one way, shape, or form, some kind of app developer, web developer. Now when the, the generation that's after us becomes adults and goes into their 30s. Imagine what the world's going to be like. It's only going to be like a rocket ship with regard to technology. And I think the one benefit of some social media is you'll see that. I have no knowledge of engineering or any of that, but I'm fascinated by it. So I follow, her name is Planetary Carrie on Twitter, and she's like one of the Mars rover people. So she tweets like NASA and space stuff, but she's also a big, huge Star Wars nerd. So it's like this great... Like, you can do two things and love two things, and it's okay. Shouldn't that be a qualification if you're going to work on the Mars rover? I mean, really, let's, let's, let's be real about this, right? And even with regard to, to uh, archiving now, yes. so much has changed. Not, and it's more than just acid-free paper at this point. No. Our all histories currently are on cassette. Oh. I know. So, we, so what we're going to start doing in November, we're going to dip our toes in with it and we're going to do the veterans history project through the library of congress so they actually give you everything you need to know they give you the questions everything and then you just send and you don't even have to edit it yay library of congress Mm -hmm. and you send them the cdr and then the person is permanently in the library of congress i actually just started that over at the emma clark library really we did our first veterans interview Uh, nancy mccaffrey is one of our librarians that heads that up and it's absolutely fantastic i can't wait i mean i luckily have family members who served so I 
the first two people I emailed, I'm like, you want to be in my, and they're like, I'm yeah. going to be in the Library of Congress, I'm in. And, and it's fantastic. It's as simple as you said it is. You know, they interview, you get the interview, and you, you just transfer it to DVD. They want two copies, you send it off. Exactly. Done. Yeah. There's something that I want to develop over at Sachem, um, just because my daughter's a film student, yeah. um, where we actually interview somebody, and we ask them before they come in, bring in photos that you can tell the story about. And then after we record the audio and the video for it, um, have the kids take the photos, scan the photos, and do a Ken Burns-like um, thing. Like, as they're talking about, well, this was my house in 1926, and this is where we lived, and, and my dad, who worked in the grocery store, and have a picture of the grocery store how with how they up pan up and pan down on mm. the image. That's cool. Do something like that, because think about how great that would be as, first of all, the oral history would be great for the family, yes. but when you can integrate the photos into that, and that's just as simple like as... Like multimedia. Like a multimedia yeah. thing, right. Yeah. And then you burn it to CD or DVD or whatever. And, and if you are a teen librarian, you can have, like, I know you just interviewed Nancy Evans. Mm -hmm. She did this great program where her teens interviewed older, the senior citizens, and they created, like, a memory jar together yes. of the senior citizens' memories and even maybe the teens' memories. And they found this wow, bond. Incredible. She said even one of the seniors brought one of the teens a birthday present wow, like they, this, deep, this yeah. intergenerational connection connection yeah, yeah, which great. i think is so important and yeah. it's something the teens will get to learn some history they don't know about yeah. so i think if you get some great teens you can totally run with that program in a podcasty way right sure uh, and in talking talking in terms of, of history there's that primary, secondary, and tertiary history. Yeah. And World War II is moving from secondary to tertiary. Mm. So as the World War II vets start to pass away and to the point where there's almost none left, it's almost like World War I is now finally transitioned, I think, to tertiary history. Because yeah. now it's more of a broad sense of seeing what's happening with, with what happened with the war and, and what happened in the political and, and all the other stuff. I think that's going to start transitioning with World War II, but while we still had some veterans left. We can hear the stories and not the, okay, I fought in Battle of the Bulge. Okay, what did you do? What, what was your day-to-day -day like? What was like, well, we had mud on our thing. And, and the actual physical, personal experience, I think, is what makes the, um, it, that, that keeps that secondary um, telling of the story more personal than just watching the same old clips over and over again and then talking about the battles in general vague terms. And you can get the people who are on the home front I grew up here, and my dad was born in 1939, Germany. Mm. <laughs> okay. You know, his father was taken away, put at the front. So he grew up just in World War II Germany. So yeah. his stories I grew up hearing. So even just the people who are at home, they have their own stories. Yeah. When I was in high school, I had a uh, project where you had to interview uh, an elder, and uh, I'm Filipino background, and both of my grandfathers uh, fought in World War II. Wow. And, uh, you know, uh, one of my grandfathers survived the death march two times. Wow, so really? He didn't, he, he didn't die once, he didn't die, yeah, so I guess, you know, he had three lives. Wow. wow. And, uh, yeah, so, but, but it's on audio tape, because this is, uh, it's gotta be 1984, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what, what we're talking about is so much cooler, because it has a visual aspect. And now that we have the tech, you're talking about technology, we have the technology to facilitate, to make this easy, yeah. to put this together. And, and what, what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and tape life is, is very finite. I actually just found an old tape that I had made when I was in high school 
and I played it, and halfway through the tape, the songs were playing still, but they were playing in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the tape flipped over, but it wasn't. Part of the tape had just Just lost its magnetism. Like warped. Yeah. Yeah. So it played, it was playing the song backwards, Uh even though the tape was still moving forward. So they do have a shelf life. And then you just transcribe it. So then you have a a printed version, and then you digitize the printed transcription, too. So you have just backup of both. Exactly. <laughs> cassettes, there's no backup. We're going to try to listen to these cassettes, yeah. oral histories, but and transcribe them. But. With regard to any video that you have that maybe you're on VHS, do you know about, I forget the name of it at, the, at this moment, but we actually have introduced it at, at Sachem, and I have to give credit to Connectwatt Library. They had it first. It's a small digital box. Right, yeah. Yeah, digital clear or something, I think it's called. It's a small box. It has a record button, a fast-forward rewind, and it has a small screen on it. And it has the the three plugs that go in, I guess they're AV, Yeah. the AV plugs. RCA plugs, right? RCA, yeah. plugs. The RCA plugs. And yeah. the other end can go into, it comes with two sets of wires, RCA on one side to go into the box, and the other side either a three and a half headphone jack if you have a, a mini DV camera or an older video camera. Or video input, yeah. Or, cool. or it has the RCAs to go into the back of a VCR. So now you can rip the, the VHS to a micro SD card. Yeah. That's cool. And then when you're done with the micro SD card, pop it into an adapter, pop it on your computer. I've, I've done this with all of my home videos going back to 1983 mm-hmm. and through the good ones up on YouTube because they're digital now. Mine and are they, on film. Yeah. The old 8mm reels. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if there's a solution Probably for that yet. Not. If it has an output, if you can find an 8mm player that has an output, it has an output. Yeah. you could do it. Yeah. Sounds like you need to search uh, for a... <laughs> I did one of the old players with the output. At home, one of those, it was a VHS player that you could burn onto DVD. Right. right. Yeah, and that yeah. came in handy. There's only think. one company that makes them now. Really? And they're like $400. Wow. Yeah. So that's why we went with this option, because that little box is 100 bucks. That's awesome. And it does an amazing job. A lot of libraries are circulating them. ConnectWide started circulating Yeah, ConnectWide is. We're going to start circulating two of them. Yeah, so that's pay, amazing. So you can bring them home. They borrow them for two weeks. They convert all their home videos and give it back. That's yeah. a great idea. And you can yeah. just set it and forget it, because then you can edit it in post. Like, let's say... You know, the SD card, I think, is a 4-gig card. It can hold up to, I think, six hours of video. So let's say you have two hours, Mm -hmm. and then it just records blue screen after that. You can pop it in Audacity or iMovie Mm -hmm. or whatever you use to edit and just chop that off, and now you have have your archives digital. Makes a lot of sense. We will be calling ConnectQuat soon. (laughs) (laughs) So these are all just fun ideas. And again, this is another example of just because there's... 110 is there, not that 110 is the actual border, but it's mm-hmm. like the unofficial border. Just because, you know, you're on that side and we're on this side doesn't mean we can't have these kinds of yeah. discussions and collaborate. Right. I, I'm so big into collaboration. I was on the NILA YSS board many, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I ran one of their conferences and I just love, I mean, half my Twitter feed is other librarians and usually some new local history. I was youth services so many years, so I still follow a lot of children's and wide librarians because sure. it's so much fun. Um, and I just have my thing is all library talk because you just get some phenomenal ideas from it. And you can't do this in a vacuum. Yeah. You can't. That's why we have so many organizations and groups and subgroups of subgroups yeah. because you know, we need to, to limit to our specialty but yet still talk to everybody else who's doing it too. Exchange of ideas. Exactly. And that's why, that's why we're here. It's almost like yeah. the marketplace of ideas that Ben Franklin talked about. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Otherwise, you get myopic. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you get too stuck in your community, like you just said, you're just not going to see the 
bigger picture. Exactly. And it's very easy for libraries to lose the big picture. And if we all keep talking to each other, then that big picture kind of stays in focus. Because even though I may do something one way, you may take that same idea and do something completely different with it because every library and every library population is different. So what we do at Sachem may not work at Emma, yeah. may not work at Freeport, but something that works at Freeport may not work at Sachem. So you know, there's that their interactivity. Exactly, and then he has that great Brook Brooklyn Public Library experience, so yeah. he can bring to the island. Yeah. To the island. <laughs> yep. and it's something bring we always it with you. Mm. It's something we always talk about us. on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Go talk to them more. So, there's something. There's always this underrunning theme that we always have um, in the podcast where we talk about how um, people usually come to the library from another career, so they bring that bag of stuff from a previous career with them, and I think that w that's what make libra makes librarians. Um, even more deep with regard to the knowledge that they have. It's more than just going to library school. Exactly. I think Santisha is up. I think they right. started. So thank you, folks. Any plugs? Any out? plugs? Right. Plug now I can go to the bathroom. You, you can go to the bathroom. Yeah, you, can. <laughs> you can. We have our own local history encyclopedia through LibGuides. So if you go to the Farmingdale Library website, just click on the local the local history tab. Nice. How about Freeport? Any plugs? Uh, you, you know, uh, I'm going to plug something that, that's finished. We, the uh, Great American Read on PBS. Mm -hmm. uh, we yes. have there's a segment on the finale that Freeport, because uh, uh, I'm going to plug Jason again. Jason, our uh, librarian over there, he uh, took some great pictures. PBS came and visited our library, and there's maybe it's like a four-minute segment on Freeport Library that's in the finale. Wow, oh, that's great. That's awesome. And, and, and it's, repeat, it's on repeat on PBS like everything else. That's great. That's so, awesome. So tune well, thank, in. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> thank, and talking thanks. thank you. Thank you. Guys. Enjoy the conference. Thank you. Okay, we are back, and we are very fortunate to have on yet again one of the three awesome Sallys. <laughs> Sally Stiglitz from Adelphi University. Thanks for dropping in to say hi. Thank you, and a shout-out to my fellow Sallys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the three amigos. Yes, Sally <laughs> Turbot and Sally, oh, boy. Pew. I forgot her last name. Pishwagali. I don't know how to pronounce her Sorry, last name. Sorry, Sally. Sorry, I tried. Sally. I didn't have my cheat sheet in front of me. I know how to spell your first name, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have something interesting to tell us about over at Delphi. That's right. Go ahead. Thanks to you and your inspiration for us, we're starting our own podcast studio. That's exciting. It's very exciting. And it wasn't me. You guys are fine on your own. <laughs> and we're partnering with the School of Communications. That's excellent. And... Uh, we're going to share ownership of the project, and uh, it's really just the ball's just getting started right now, rolling, so we have equipment set up in a space, and uh, I think we're going to see how it develops. It's pretty exciting. There's so much you can do with it, um, especially from the library angle. You can do yeah. something as easy as, you know, doing maybe a weekly, talking about libguides or talking about services that the library has. Uh, you can do more public interest stories you can do interviews with students about user experience there's just i mean we could sit here and brainstorm all day so it, we're thinking because i actually picked the place for it because it's right next to the digital printing so i wanted it to be like tell me if this is too corny digital digital alley I don't no, know that's pretty, no, that's pretty good. That's right? Pretty good. It's like diagonally. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> diagonally, that's from nice. From Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I just think, I'm hoping that will become a digital space right now. It's a screening room and nobody needs those anymore. That's a great right. name. Right. <laughs> that's a great name for it. <laughs> no, but that's, that's a great idea. And it's funny because... Um, Everybody has like a catchy name for something, right? Oh, so I'm getting, you, you like my name though? Yeah, I like it a lot. Did you hear that, Dean Lim? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dean Lim, did you hear that? It's a, we have a winner. If I had a ding, ding, ding sound Validation. effect, I would play it. 
Yeah. Library Pro is approved, right? Yes, exactly. And you know what else is great about it for us? It's um, an opportunity for scholarship creation for the students. So Ooh, yeah. all our stakeholders can come in and create their own podcasts, do their own, uh, whether it's with campus partners or people in their communities or... I know that some people are in touch with people in other countries. You know, the technology is available for them to do whatever they want in creation. Well, does Adelphi have a radio station? Yes. I believe it's called Pause, P-A-W-S. <laughs> wow. I think that's it. Yeah, because that's, oh, well, I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's Panther Pride. Panther Pride. Ah, so. See, so you see the connection now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that you necessarily want to pause a radio station, though. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Because um, I'm thinking just in terms of, since you're partnering with the communication school, it's communication school, right? Yes. So think about the idea of it's just another way to put broadcasting out there. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to automate some of it That's and do true. public interest or if they have to do a certain amount of community, um, community service uh, type recordings, they can record it there and then digitally take that file over to the radio station. And now you have a, a block of time where maybe you don't have a student there to be the DJ or, or be the host for a show. And you can kind of layer that in there, too. And they could pick and choose from the library of what's available. People want to share out their podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And it's, it, it's more programming for the radio station. There's so many different layers to podcasting. Um, and not just in library land, although that's what we focus on. There's so many different layers to what you can do. I mean, just here at the conference today, we, we met uh, one of the people that's involved in the People podcast for the Mass Pequa Public Library, mm-hmm. just out of the clear blue sky. She's like, oh, yeah, I have a podcast too, Pequa. I'm like, what? I've listened to it. <laughs> Lately, you know? everyone has a podcast. And you know, one of my favorites is At the Library Pros. Oh, yeah. We've heard of that one, yeah. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't know about that Chris guy. He's it's a shameless <laughs> big mouth that he has. Oh, don't we get $5 if we mention it's 11. Ellen, she it's up to $11. $11, $11 for Ellen Druda. Ellen Druda. Yeah. $11. She was just texting me saying, how did it turn around where I pay you? And she doesn't understand that it started with her paying us, and somehow she tried to turn it around. But now we, we no, righted the ship. To, it's just back. a money generator. That's all. Yeah. yeah, so now she owes us $11 every time we say, Ellen Druda. Did you say That's Ellen Druda? Ellen Druda. <laughs> And if you mention her grandkids, it's like 50 sure. bucks. Ooh. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't know if we should go into the grandkids. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's got a podcast, too, and I listened to some of that. Yeah, she actually retired, so she's not on that podcast anymore. Oh. She's not in um, in the stacks anymore. But I got the backlog. I can listen well, to Well, let's just stacks. say we may be working on something oh. with Ellen Druda soon. So. so I have an idea for my own podcast, but I want to reveal it here. So I'm going to save it for a future podcast to see if I can make that happen. That sounds like fun. We may have to uh, chat about that. That's right. What's the point of having a podcast studio if I don't have my own podcast? Exactly. Exactly. And and Dean Lim should allow all of the staff to develop some type of podcast. He's pretty awesome, even though he's not a Sally. (laughs) He he is very awesome. Every time I've spoken to him, he's been nothing but awesome. I guess they can be the awesome Brian's, too. I guess we'll have to make a list of Brian's. So he'd be the first Brian. (laughs) That's right. He'd be the leader. The Brian's and the Sally's. Right. Gotta love Two it. Two popular names <laughs> from way back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're back to a different century. So what else is going on over Adelphi? So much is going on. Well, we've been very busy teaching, of course. I taught a um, theater class. I, I've been working with the um, performing arts school, uh, the theater faculty, for about two years, trying to convince them of the value of the libraries and it's been working. So they want us to work with their students on their research projects and they want um, 
a specific lib guide I'm working on. I'm going to send it to you when you, you, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, I like to use it in humor in my lib guides. And uh, they ask for instruction. So it's great because not everything that's um, a straight disciplinary subject always sees the value in library instruction. So working with these other departments is extremely gratifying when they come to see what we can offer. And we're having a film festival coming up next month. It's going to be our first annual Immigrant and International Film Festival. Wow, I'm working great. with Carolyn, Carolyn Daniels and a number of other people on our DACA Immigration and International Committee. I came up with this motto, tell me if you like it. It was um, 10 films, 5 days, 1 world. That's great. That's great. Thank you. That really is good. Because it, it, it encapsulates awesome. the whole thing. Yeah, so we're going to be actually doing 10 films in five days. Wow. <laughs> wow. And they all have an international theme. We've been using Canopy streaming video mm -hmm. uh, for some of the films. Uh, one of the films is a short film called Saeed that's the creation of Professor John Drew at the uh, university. Um, it's like a pre-release um, viewing of that film. And we also have um, a film called From the Land of Gandhi, which we... Um, we're able to purchase from the uh, director and producers and uh, one of them is going to come speak to us through Skype at our film festival. And then we have another one called the Chinese Exclusion Act, which we purchased with the, uh, the rights. I just want to make clear that everything we show, we have the rights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, which was a PBS documentary, I emailed the people who were involved in that, just on the off chance that they might come, and I was successful with that. I was really happy. So, we have, uh, I think, the director is going to be um, uh, at our conference through virtual participation. So, that's a real um, exciting thing for us. So, we have not just these films that we're screening, but we have a number of them where we have uh, uh, producers and directors involved in discussing their films. That's really that's exciting. Really for a first effort that we started putting together about a month and a half ago, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's quick really good. Yeah. 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 I'm going to send you some information on that in case you know anyone who wants to come by. It's free and open to the public. These are all exciting things for Adelphi. You know what? I remembered something else I wanted to tell you. Did I tell you that I'm going to NASA and for the um, jet to go to the Jet Propulsion Lab for the uh, Mars landing? Oh, that's, wow, that's cool. cool. Yeah. Tell us about that. So they have a program called NASA Socials. I follow follow NASA on um, social media, so I saw that they had advertised this. So I thought, oh, I'll try. Um, so I filled out an application, wrote the essay, and I was so excited to be picked. And I wow, wrote cool. about librarianship. And, um, you know, there are a few people who were picked who are scientists, mm -hmm. but mostly they select people from all different professions, and they're yeah. looking for us to basically share what's going on backstage at NASA. So um, did you know about this? Did you see it on my Twitter feed? I think I saw yeah. it on your feed, yeah. So um, it's artists and photographers and actors and DJs wow. and all kinds of people from different walks of life, a few educators and a few scientists. Oh. And what we do is we get to, you know, you have to do your own expense, which is reasonable. Um, going to California, and we're going to have two days at the Jet Propulsion Lab, during which they're going to be landing the Mars InSight, uh, I'm not sure what to call the it. Is it rover? Right it's the larger rover, rover right? Yeah. And you know what? I don't think it's called the rover. It's just called Mars Insight. It's the lander. The okay. lander. Yeah. And what this is going to do is take measurements on Mars of things like Mars quakes and um, other kind of seismic activity. It's so cool. 
and we're going to be backstage seeing what's happened. Now. Watching them land this thing. Right? Yeah. That's so great. And um, there's some kind of NASA TV, and all of us are there, not just to observe, but to share what we learn. It's, right. uh, to me, it's communicating science. Yeah. Uh, to share what we learn on social media. So I'm going to be at, uh, at Sally Stieglitz, at Adelphi Sally, and at Adelphi Sally on Instagram, sharing everything that's happening for those two days. That's exciting. Right? That's great. Plus, yeah. my colleague Nancy, who I met, she, my colleague, she's a co-participant who lives in Germany. She's a teacher. We met up through this program, and we started something called, um, this was her idea, uh, National Geographic has a social explorer's blog website, so we're blogging about the experience. That's so cool. That's really neat. She's a science teacher. She's extremely creative. Shout out, Nancy. I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name, if it's Hon or Han. <laughs> Very cool. But I'll send you a link to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's really great. Yeah. So, the, you know what? I think the three of us will just have this idea that as librarians, we don't feel limited yeah. by what we can do or what we can contribute. And you're right. I mean, it, it, we're only limited by our imagination and obviously a budget. And budget. But, but, <laughs> budget, yeah, and money. but, but when, you, money. when you figure out and get equipment, then it's just a matter of thinking what you can do with the equipment. Just in terms of just the podcasting equipment, it's more than just us talking to this microphone. We can do other things. We can uh, record music. We can, you know... Whatever you do with sound, yeah. record maybe have an author come in and record his book as an audio book. That would be and fantastic. Insert, um, you know, sound effects and things like that in. Yeah. Oh, you know. sound effects. Do you remember people used to do that with like foley coconuts work. and yep. stuff? So. That would be a fun activity for kids. Do foley work. Yeah, right? sure. They take the coconut shells and make them sound like make that. Make horses. Make horses. And, yeah. Wouldn't that be fun for kids? That, I think that would be a lot of fun. You could do that too. Sure. And you just need to purchase some coconut shells. That's it. Or possibly <laughs> go to one of those South Shore bars on, in the summer and just get people to discard them. It's the least expensive thing we'll buy this year. Yeah. Or yeah. just go buy coconuts from the store and cut them open. Yeah. And then you have a second program, How to Cook Coconut Milk. That's right. right? <laughs> Make coconut ice cream. Well, the discards, right? Right. That would be a fun program, too. Do your own folly work. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. If you do that, I'd like to hear about it. Get it? Hear about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those, those are kind of fun things. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's very hands-on for little kids. I think they would love it. If you had, like, a little animated video and you had them do all the sound, mm. and if you know somebody who's a filmmaker who could do that, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> think of how much fun that would be. And they each have their own sound, sound and voices, and then you play it back. That would be fun. Yeah. See that? Pretty I'm cool. so Consultant excited. Sally Stiglitz. That's, that's why she's yeah. awesome Sally. Yeah. And you know what? My budget is so budget friendly. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. a, it's almost, almost free. Free. Yeah. Yeah, basically. yeah, and how much is just laying around the library with stuff? This noisemakers and, you know, children's right. stuff. And yeah. You know, I think if you just, I don't hate to say the word Google, because if you looked in a useful database right. <laughs> for information. Factually useful. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> For information on how to like make your own Foley equipment, it's probably stuff you have sitting right around. That's a great idea. I mean, do you think like a saw? Do they use a saw to make noises, or what did they use to shake to make like the lightning and thunder? Lightning and thunder. They were the old-fashioned saws. Yeah. And yeah, then they right. transitioned to pieces of sheet metal, where they wiggled the sheet metal yeah. around. And I bet you could get donations. Oh yeah. Like thin steel, right? I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That yeah. is so cool. I can't wait to hear it. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you. As for awesome with me. awesome you, is with awesome right. Sally. Yeah. Thank that's you. Right. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I think I hear food being served. Yes, so I think I we're going to go steal scraps, away and grab some food, see what's left. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again for coming on. Thanks, thanks for, for having me, Chris. Sure. It's always great. Hi, and we are back with Santisha Kendrick Samuel from the Uniondale Library. Yes. So tell us about 
your library? Uh, Uniondale is a, it's not a small library, I would say mid-size, located in Nassau County. Uh, we're right, we're south of Nassau Coliseum. So mm -hmm. most people know where that is. Right by Hofstra. Yes, yeah. right by Hofstra. So um, we serve a community, it's at the hamlet of Uniondale. We have like maybe 30,000 patrons. We're not that big. No. That's not mm -hmm. small either, though. No, no it's not small. Size, yeah. We're just right. So um, tell us about some of the things you were talking about today in your uh, discussion over at, in the conference. Basically, um, just about programs that we offer to empower our teens, to keep them engaged with the library, because we want to continue what started hopefully in their childhood, bridge them over to their adulthood, and keep the library relevant for them in their lives. I liked one of the examples that you had given about um, the, uh, the gentleman who had come back after being a teen, mm -hmm. and you had not known that he was an ESL student, and he came back and gave back to the library. That was a great story. Can you share that with us? Oh, sure. That was about Mark, Mark Cubis, who, I mean, I've known him. He used to be one of my teen volunteers, mm -hmm. but it's funny. It's been like over seven years, and this was the first time I knew, truly knew his story and why he wants to give back to the community, even as an adult. He um, shared that when he started school, he was born here in America, but his first language was not English. His parents are Salvadorian immigrants, and so he was in ESL classes, and he knew, he understands what students are going through now, because he was in their shoes way back then. So that influences how he instructs um, his students now. He wants to become a music teacher, he's a graduate student, and he's very gracious. He's, um, he's good with the kids, and I hire him from time to time to teach voice and performance to the teens who use our library. That is great, and, and seeing how kids come back and they want to give back to the library after all that they've given, been receiving from the library. It's such a, a, a great story. And you had that other program, I forget the name of it, uh, that was a summer program? Okay, that was, um, well, we called it officially the Junior Master Gardener Program. Mm -hmm. And that's where kids from the community were able to go over to the local Cornell Cooperative Extension Farm, the next town over, and they learned about organic gardening, um, uh, I guess horticulture, science, all of this great stuff, and it was all hands-on. And they were taught by a Cornell intern, and they were able to grow their vegetables and harvest it, take it home, and cook with their families. And it was a really, it was a great program. It was the first time we did it, and I hope it can continue. It really sounds like a great program. So do you get a lot of... Um Tell me about the, the community involvement with the library, because every community really is different how they, they interact with the library. It's, we're very fortunate because uh, we have at least, how can I put it, we have a good amount of community involvement. A lot of our adult patrons, they use the library not necessarily for book clubs, but for you know how to write a resume or um, different life skills types of things. Mm -hmm. And then too, with the teens, they're there for their assignments, to hang out, to participate in programs. But their parents, they're very involved. And I count myself as fortunate because I've been there for so long. You get to know your patrons, and they get to know me. And the fact that like I live in the community, so I'm shopping, and I see this one's at, this person at Walmart or whatever. So it's like we're neighbors. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they help with our programs. So they'll, if their kids can't do it, they'll spread the word to their neighbors or get somebody else's kid involved. And it keeps the program strong. It's, it's really important to have that, and it's great that you live in the community. I live in one, literally a neighboring community, so it, it's almost like we, 
we're in the same neighborhood almost. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes a big difference when you do live and work in, in that same community. My wife actually uh, works in the library that serves the community that we live in. Oh, and okay. it really does make a difference because you'll see people in the grocery store or wherever and they have questions and it's really great for that um, the community building uh, with the library. Exactly. Because I was driving to work and it was at John Kruger Mellencamp, that song, Living yeah. in a Small Town, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is so fitting because <laughs> my kids are right here at, you know, at the local school. My job is there. The house is like a few blocks away. And it does make you feel like you're part of what's going on because you are. Absolutely. And it influences how you serve your patrons. You want to give them your best because it's like, why, you know, tear down a reputation of something that's that's yours as well. So. Right, and it, it all, I know for me, it gives me just an extra little incentive of investment too, knowing mm -hmm. that I'm helping the community that I live in. And you're not just serving a community that, you know, well, I, yeah, I work over there, but I live over here. Mm. You know, exactly. when, you, when you're actually interacting with the community that, that, you, that you love, you know, it, it comes back to you, it, yeah. double or triple fold. Exactly, it, the rewards are great. And even like, um, speaking of kids who've grown up, I have some like when one young man, Victor, he dropped in not too long ago, he was already like a, what do they call it, a Wunderkind or whatever, Wunderkind type of kid where he beat all the odds. He comes from a single parent household, mother doesn't speak English, but he made it into Harvard. He right. graduated and now he came back just to let me know he was accepted to Cornell Law School. Wow. wow and that great. was the day he was leaving to go up. That's state. fantastic. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, like you can't get back. <clears throat> That's a small victory, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you're reaching a group of people that uh, a lot of libraries find it very difficult, you know, to reach, and that's the teen group. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of they have a teen center, they have a teen area, but they're not getting the numbers that they expected. Um, so give us some of the challenges that you've come into, you know, when you're trying to provide programs and services geared towards teens and successes and drawbacks, things like that. Well, I mean, it is a challenge. I learned a long time ago. Don't compare yourself to like the children's department. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like the parents have less control over the teens in terms of getting them to forcing them to come to the library. Sure. So that's where that whole professional hustle comes in. Mm -hmm. Because we have challenges too. I I had a book discussion, I do the graphic the monthly graphic novel discussion. The first one of the school year, I had zero kids show up because it conflicted with something at the high school right. and then they have to get back in the swing of things. Right. So we're in a growing phase again. Now, most places wouldn't do that program again. And See, you're saying with this professional hustle, you got to keep knocking at the door. And exactly. Because okay. this has happened before. So October 1st one, but by June, but the, before we take a break for the summer, mm -hmm. we'll have like 12, 15 kids in that room because we talk to them, go out to the schools, to the meetings. We send out flyers, social media. It's like you don't give up. And that's how we're able to keep that going, the regular book discussion going, and the other programs. It's just how it is. I think you could write a book on just that, that professional hustle right there, because so many folks give up on that program when they don't see the numbers, or the numbers are small. Mm -hmm. you know, instead of seeing it through and getting the word out there and, and going to the parent-teacher conference, not parent-teacher, but the, the uh, parent-teacher association, right? mm -hmm. yeah, sure. which is a very lively uh, group when you go to, the, to those yes. events, right? So. When you show up in these community-engaged events, they, they begin to recognize you and know your name and know you're really for them and mm -hmm. you're an outlet for them, and, and the numbers grow, right? So, exactly. Yeah. So it's just a matter of um, don't, get, don't be so quick to give up yeah. and get from behind the desk. Talk to people. Yep. 
you know, don't be like weird about it, but keep it natural. <laughs> get, out from, get out from behind the desk. Doesn't that sound that sounds behind, pretty uh, yeah. familiar? But but it's it's so true because th- there's this this thing in library land where where librarians like, well, I, I work behind the desk and I stay behind the desk and yeah. I can't leave the desk. What happens if the phone rings? What happens if it's going to be okay? Mm-hmm. We're all going to be okay. It's exactly. Really not if you're going to go walk 20 feet over to help a kid with something. You're actually you're not sitting there waiting. You're not a catcher. Mm-hmm. You're you're a pitcher. You're out there and you're going and you're doing. And if there's somebody there, you know, it never hurts to walk somebody to the stack, even if they know where it is. Exactly. Because the reference interview continues, whether you're dealing with kids, teens, or adults. That reference interview is always going to be continuing, and that's how you do what? Build a relationship. Exactly. And now they're going to come back to you. Maybe they feel more comfortable with you as opposed to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as an example, I had um, uh, a couple who had just come from Central America. They were reluctant to come in the building, but they did come in the building. They got library cards, and they didn't speak English. So out comes to Google Translate, and what's nice about Google Translate now, it has the conversation button. Mm-hmm. So we're talking to each other through my phone. Wow. And now when they come in, they want to come and talk to me because I know I have the phone in my pocket. And now they have a comfort level. And now they're coming to programs. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it, there's that initial engagement that happens that we build the trust. And the same thing happens when we go out into the schools. And yep. we, you know, because at Sachem we're very prevalent in the schools. We're there like every week in a different school. It's a big district. So That's good. Um, when you build those relationships, and sometimes it's not starting at the top. Sometimes you have to start with the librarians in one of the schools. And you bring in a couple mm-hmm. of toys and things from the, to see what we can do. And then the librarians start talking with each other in the different buildings. Oh, can you come over to our building and do that? Oh, wait. And, and mm-hmm. two weeks later, can you come to us? And then it filters up to the principals. And then it filters up to administration. And then the administration's like, well, yeah, it's free. They're bringing their own stuff. And it's, it's free. Yeah. Then it, it's, it's a, a no-brainer. No-brainer. Exactly. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. So that outreach component... Um, whether you're going to schools, whether you're going to civics, whether you're going to Kiwanis meetings, or, or even if you're just having a local business, uh, meeting with a local business or giving a local business a business library card, that, mm-hmm. that does so much to build your relationship with the community. It's more than just the people who walk in because we're really good at reaching those people. Yep. It's the people who don't come in. Exactly. Getting to them. Making your presence known. Yep. Because even now I'm at Union, I have to commit administration because they hired a bilingual outreach librarian. And her attitude is very good. She's at every park, if there's like a festival or yep. a parade or whatever, she has the booth with the library awning and stuff like that. And that way, you know, she's helping to get the word out. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's good to see because you have to stay progressive. And yeah, and you can't just current. put a table out and sit there. Mm-hmm. And watch while you stuff blow off the table during a festival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> have, have rocks on top of your your pamphlets because pamphlets you're not there handing out pamphlets. You know, you, you got to be there to sell the place. Uh huh. Um, and another thing that we do, like with the iPad that we use to record here, this is the library's iPad. Um, the first page is all the services, all mm. your hooplas, your canopies, your Libby, and OverDrive, because it's a lot easier to show somebody than to describe it. Exactly. I was just saying to Bob off mic before, uh, we went to every one of the open school nights. And Sachem has 10 elementaries, three middles, and two high schools. So we hit every single one of them. And I just had, I had all the pamphlets out, Mm -hmm. and I had Canopy Kids up. 
And parents are like, what's this? Oh, you're from the library? What's this about? I said, oh, well, this is Canopy Kids. It's free. All you have to do is log in with your library card and, you know, and library card number and your barcode and your, your password. And I said, and by the way, we have Hoopla, and we have this, and we have that. Next thing you know, I have a group of people around the table. And I'm like, oh, can you show me that Libby thing again? Oh, I have Overdrive. I had trouble logging in. And now the conversation starts with the people between each other. Mm-hmm. And now it builds and it builds. You can't just sit there with with rocks on top of your pamphlets. No, trying to <laughs> step on the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, you need not just a body to be there, but you need somebody who's outgoing, somebody who can make the pitch. Exactly. And and to have somebody from the library that can make that pitch it makes such a big difference. Definitely. And it, and it's an effort. It's hard. like I count myself as blessed because when I started out, I was the only teen librarian. I worked under youth services, but now I have my own department and I have full-timer and part-timer so now it's like more of us because I don't know if you know but with teen librarians a lot of us get in the mindset you're like the lone wolf right who does yeah, everything true. right but now it's like all right we can do more you know like with the back to school nights or assigning someone to go to this meeting or that and to let them to open your mouth to get to know this one and, and then I find that like you were saying they start to know the different librarians yeah so it's a big plus a big plus oh yeah i've seen it just from our teen department at, um and i'm always amazed when i go down there because usually friday nights are chaos there's tons of people in there on friday nights mm-hmm. and i'll walk in there and i have to talk to one of my colleagues and they're like hey uh john go over there and talk to tommy because tommy's doing this and like they knew every, all the kids names and there's tons of kids in there they know their names they know what they like they know what they don't like as They'll it say, should be. Right. Relation, those are <laughs> relationships. We just right? got the, the latest, this book that you like, and I had a recommendation I thought of you the other day, and there's that that level of engagement. It's more than just sitting behind the desk and waiting mm-hmm. for somebody. It's not reactive, it's proactive. Exactly. Especially with the teens. And you have to be, you know, more than just, like, ready to, like, check whole security now or whatever. Like, <laughs> to have a different mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, because they're a hard demo to get in the building, they're almost as hard as the twenty somethings. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get them in and they start texting each other, Snapchatting each other, hey, you know they got Xbox at the library. Next thing you know, they're your best salespeople. They really are because their peers will listen to them before they listen to you. Exactly. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. Exactly. It's just like with your kids, and you know your kids don't listen to you, but the second somebody else says it, then it's it's gospel. Right about that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the, the junior friends groups? Yes, there um there are team volunteers and they they're an actual organization. They do fundraising and they sponsor programs at the library. And what's great about what helps keep them strong is that if you want to do community service at Uniondale, you have to join a junior friends. Really? Oh that's so great. So it's like I mean, some people are like, Well, that's not very fair, but by adding new teens to the group, it's helped to keep them stable. And they really, that's, as I always say, that's their place. So they do a lot. They help with summer reading, with the reporting stations, picture book pals, all sorts of things. That sounds great. Yeah, it really is amazing. And it's good because you're you're making them make a commitment. Yes. It's not just for one certificate. Exactly, it's ongoing. And then too, and I try to tell them in the long run, you may start as a junior friend in sixth grade, but come 11th, 12th, you'll be asking Ms. Kendrick Samuel for a recommendation letter. Right. Yeah. If you want a really good letter, right. it's going to be important. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be important. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. 
Because you do see kids coming in, oh, I just need three hours, or I just need two hours. Yeah, then they disappear. Then they disappear, right. This way you're getting the commitment. Exactly. And like, and usually, like if they'll have a younger brother or sister, we get the whole family because yeah. they want to follow in the path of their older sibling. And then the next thing you know, you become sort of like friends with the parents, and then the parents will support all of your programs and get their friends to bring their kids. So it's, it's like the junior friends, I'm so glad they had that here. And isn't that part of the hurdle, too, trying to get through to the parents? Because some parents get very antsy about, you know, whether they're overprotective of their kids or they're afraid of who their kids are going to see when they're in the teen department and, mm -hmm. you know, oh, stay away from Johnny. You know, Johnny's a bad one, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I think that's where it helps that I've been there for so long because it's, it, like, the parents, they know me. Some of them kind of freak me out at first. Like, <laughs> I have three kids. <laughs> and they remember, like, oh, yeah, you have the daughter and the two sons. I remember you were pregnant. Like, they know about me yeah but then that helps them trust me with their exactly. kids and stuff so again it's back to that community thing yeah and so um like i have a good relationship with just about with the majority of the parents it's not adversarial in any way yeah. and then they trust if their teens like out of program or in a teen space it's that safe place exactly so we're vigilant like you know we don't tolerate bullying good. or yeah. any you know that type of negative behavior there are consequences they may be asked to leave for the day or something like that. Yeah, we'll but try again tomorrow, right? Exactly. That kind of thing. Yep. Like yeah, we use that quite often back, as well. Yep. Right. But, you You're know. having a bad day today. That's exactly. it. So beat it yeah. for the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> In your bio, you talk about um, discussing experiences as an African American librarian. So, is there anything that you can share with us? As because you've been in the field for quite some time, right? So, yeah, I feel like yeah. I'm a dinosaur in a room. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there just about as long, yeah. so don't oh, worry. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. You're among friends. Well, just um, I just want to encourage, like I'm even with the teens I work with, I'm trying to grow more librarians sure. and to increase the diversity in the field. It's um, it's funny if I, well, I guess I can share this. It's like as an African American librarian, we have in other librarians of color. We kind of have a joke when we go to meetings like this. We instantly look for other people who may be like us or what or what have you. Yeah. And it's like, you get happy, like, I just spotted somebody. So <laughs> so it would be nice to really just continue to grow more librarians. Cause yeah. it's like, I think the field is stronger when you have more diversity, you get different backgrounds and different viewpoints. So. Absolutely, and they don't they don't know the fun that they could have, mm -hmm. right? Because like, it's not like, the, Chris, Chris and I were just talking about this before, uh, before lunch. It's not like it used to be. It's not the shh and the nose and the being mm -hmm. the being the guard and the security. It's about you know engagement. It's about passion. Exactly. It, you know, it's about focusing and being part of the community. And you get to have so much fun doing that. You know. Exactly. It's and not you, a stuffy thing. And you don't have to be a book nerd. Thank you. Yeah. You don't have to be somebody who loves. Oh, I want to read like three thousand books and not sitting by. And then blog about it. But right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then pet your cat. I book blog. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have one cat. There's three or four. There's cats three or four cats. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it 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 just makes a lot of sense. This this field, and so many people are so quick to say, "Oh, libraries are dying. We don't need libraries. We have Google, all that stuff," and they don't realize. And usually, the people saying that are just old people who just you know and they haven't been in a library in 20 haven't years haven't been in so. a library mm -hmm. first all. if you think that libraries are boring or we don't need a library go visit a library because any library that's, that's survived 2018 is is worth its weight in gold right mm -hmm. and, and the whole idea and we talked about this earlier in the podcast um the perception 
of the younger generations of what a library is is different than what we remember. We remember it's a place you go to get books, mm -hmm. and there's this Study old lady quiet. behind the desk yeah. with her glasses on a chain and hair in a bun, right. and with a shawl, and she's going shh to everybody, and you can't talk, and you can't breathe, and you can't drink, and you can't eat, and you. God forbid if you owe a fine. I stayed away yeah. for years because huh? I owed a. <laughs> and, and how many people have to replace seriously, the book? Yeah. You know, a fifteen cent fine it turns into a bill for the book and now it's keeping away for 10, 15 years and now you're keeping your kids away from the library and you know, the library is not what the perception is and I get angry every time I see, I think it was the New York Lottery just did the most recent one, it was a scratch off lottery uh, mm -hmm. commercial where it, it almost looked like it was done in New York public in the, in the grand, in that grand study room. Okay. Um, where one person was scratching off the thing and they, I won and everybody went shh. Yeah, it's just not I like that anymore. Every yeah. time I see, I, I think I angrily tweeted the New York Lottery about 15 or 20 times That's about the commercial. Is, yeah. It's like, do you realize how wrong that is yeah. on so many levels? And there's so it's many trying things. trying to bring us back 15 years. You know? 15, yeah. 50 years. Yeah. And exactly. There's so much, like I'm pointing to my, my board and my iPad. Mm -hmm. This is the future of libraries. It's, it's digital. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's not just digital. It's digital. It's also low-tech stuff. It's also yes. it's more than maker spaces, but it's such a big part of it. It's learning other things. It's a life skills thing, you know. Exactly. Uh, there's there's so much that that you could learn and create and be dynamic, and maybe even have an opportunity to teach. You know, the books are always going to be there, but mm -hmm. they're not ninety percent anymore. They're more like fifty, sixty percent, and maybe even less, depending on which direction your library is going in. Right. Mm -hmm. So you know, libraries. It, for, for people, for any person, but especially for people of color who are underrepresented in the library field, it's a wonderful place to to have a career and to have a job where it feels like you never work when you're there because you love what you're doing and you look at the clock and it's already five o'clock. Exactly. If it's your passion and you're in a healthy work environment, because I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's, we have some hostile or some toxic environments out there. I can say, fortunately, I never experienced that really. But if you're in a good situation, you have so much freedom as a librarian. As, you know, as long as you're, again, not doing anything crazy, but if you have take the initiative, if you can show administration that you want to learn or bring something to the public, you're just, they're not going to stand in your right. way. Show them it's not scary, right? That's right. Not and show them that it's not going to cost $5,000. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> start small. Or then start writing grants to finance what yeah. you want to do. Exactly. There's always... It's a stupid old phrase, but I use it all the time. There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's mm -hmm. more than one way to get to that end result. Yep. And never give up. Like you said, the first book, the book club, nobody came. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean give up. Keep going, yeah. It means keep exactly. going. Maybe the marketing wasn't right. Maybe mm -hmm. the timing wasn't right. Maybe something else was going on, like in your situation. You know, something else may be affecting what's going on because you don't do things in a vacuum. And exactly. it just means next time when you plan it, maybe you want to do something different next time. Or maybe just change the name of it. Yeah. I mean, or, yeah, check the school calendar or do something. Maybe tweak it a little bit. Right. And see, see what happens. Yeah. So during your presentation, um, you showed a lot about act outdoor activities mm -hmm. and, and folks being outside. So share a little bit about how your experiences with that. It was like this was the first summer we really took it outdoors and... It was just so nice because, like, with summer reading, especially with youth services, it gets crazy, even for my own sanity. It was a nice rest. <laughs> the library becomes, it's a takeover, basically, right? Pretty yeah. much, yeah. from morning to night. So 
it worked out with um, we didn't have to worry about transportation or even like legal matters because insurance coverage was there and all that other good stuff and the kids enjoyed it like again a lot of them had never golfed before I had never golfed before and it was nice to be out on that course to even learn about this organization and what they were doing and I mean I didn't have to pull teeth like they showed up Every week. That is so cool. Yeah. Same thing with the gardening. It was it was really nice. And to see them taking home bags of stuff that they grew to hook with their families at home, it was a a wonderful experience. That really it's it's great because I was impressed by all by the whole thing. Yeah. It really stuck out. (laughs) We we were elbowing each other the whole time, like, Oh my god, look at that. I was texting yeah, I was texting my director and some other people. I'm like, Yeah, these teen programs because it's a difficult place if you don't know where to get started. Um, a teen librarian can get re- can get really you know stuck mm-hmm. um, in in offering some space and watching to see if they show up, you know, and where you're out there really pounding the ground and they're showing up, um, and to, and to keep going when you you know if you don't see a, enough people coming out initially, to mm-hmm. keep behind your idea, keep behind your passion, and then all of a sudden they just start showing up. You know, yeah, it's, don't it's up really so worth the effort. No. And then too, as a professional, because you know you've been around for a while, you have to keep yourself interested too. Right. Yeah. Like you have to want to do it, right? You got to give exactly. yourself a reason to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. You can't go there and teach the same word class over and over again. Thank yeah. you. You know, and this is file, <laughs> file and print. Right. You know, now, not everything looks this way. Top left corner. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, I I teach a whole bunch of different iPad classes, mm-hmm. and it's fun because you get some of the same regulars come back, so you can tease them and make fun of them, and you know, you build that rapport. So mm-hmm. they keep coming back, and then they tell their friends, and they tell their friends. The next thing you know, we have to add three more classes because we reached the room occupancy. And I think, again, building relationships with the community. Mm-hmm. And now they'll come back and show you, oh, look what I did with my iPad. You showed me how to do this, and now I know how to do A, B, and C. You know, that is satisfying personally and professionally because you know you've made a difference in somebody's life. Exactly. I mean, I understand it's just an iPad. It's not like I, you know, did something major. I didn't. It wasn't something major, but it was something that I, I was able to articulate something to somebody, and it made a difference in what they do with that thing that they carry in their pocket all the time. Because it mattered. It, it mattered to them. Right. And that says a lot. So and it did make a difference. It makes a difference. And it's mm-hmm. it's nice to know, maybe not every day, but maybe mm-hmm. every other day, you get that feeling. And I don't know any other career or job where you get that. It's, I mean, maybe teaching but then I feel bad for teachers because they have to do with the common core and all that other stuff and they get stuck in a rut too because they're they're handed down the curriculum from from other bodies Mm -hmm. but what I really liked um, from your presentation was you do like real world classes like the gardening and things like that so these are things they can they're tangible they can take them home with them you know and and I think and then they can go home and they have a life skill they have a something to fall back and I think it's a great way to do it and that's important because the big joke um, is oh this adulting thing is hard. You know, you hear from like the, the Gen Yers, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, this this adulting thing. Really? No, it's just called being an adult. Thank you. You just do it. You just have to do it. And it's not hard to figure out, well, you have to pay your mortgage and you have to pay your, your bills. And, oh, sure. this is so hard. I don't know how, I, <laughs> how did my parents do this? And how did they do it without the internet? Yeah, right. Okay, great. Go, go back behind the desk. <laughs> you know, it's, you definitely inspired us today, right? So, and having having those yeah. articulating those skills to the kids is really an important thing. It's priceless. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. 
thanks for spending some time with us today. I appreciate it. Well, it was fun, and I appreciate it. And I will be, wherever you're presenting next, you will see me in the audience. We're going to have to do another notes. interview with you because yeah. uh, 2016 Mover and Shaker. Mover and Shaker 2016. Yeah, we have to talk about impressive. that, too. Yeah, that must have been really great. Good though. times, good times. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Maybe we'll come out to you and do a present. Do a, we'll do a uh, podcast. Yeah, we'll do it out out there at Uniondale. Yeah. That'd be fun. The door's fine. always open. Yeah. That would be cool. Just bring your T-pins and some foam. T-pins right? and foam yes. samples, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a sample to show your director. See how easy it is. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, fun. Okay, right. thanks any, for coming any, on. Any Thank plugs? Where we got to do plugs? Yeah, any plugs? Any plugs? Any? Um, just oh, yeah, our social media, Uniondale Public it? Library, just Instagram and Facebook. Okay. And that's it. Very <laughs> cool. Thanks again for coming on. Okay, we are back with David Beard, who just spoke at the uh, the Lowrick Conference, and he's the former deputy editor-in-chief and digital editor of the National Journal. So tell us uh, about some of the stuff you were talking about today. Sure. Um, I've spent a lot of the last two years looking at uh, commonalities and differences between uh, librarians and journalists. Both uh, fields are under fire in some ways. The concept of what we hold dear, maybe the truth is being challenged as never before. And we all both have shifting audiences from uh, people who used to just walk in for one or two things and now it's it's coming in, if they are, for uh, kind of genius bar adult reference work on how to make OverDrive work a little better or uh, how can I learn more about your free apps instead of at least as much as I know about Netflix and Amazon apps that I use more frequently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, too. I think uh, some of the discussion we had heard talked about using the library as a news source. Yes. I think that not as a... Now, not, not as a primary not news as a, source. Not a primary news source or even a conventional news source. It, it, uh, I don't think it would ever be a source for the if it bleeds it leads or or the police blotter i mean it could be the police chief could hand out the police blotter right, and it could sure. as long as it's seamless it appears on a, a library blog or something on, on a wordpress kind of thing or or it it that's linked as part of a number of links on an email newsletter email blast each week mm-hmm. well let me ask you this because as, as you were talking um a library that I used to work at had considered uh, becoming a patch for the for that local area, and we found out that there was so much involved with it, it just was not um, a good fit for that library. Can you explain a little bit about how patch works? Well, patch could be enveloping. It, it takes a, sometimes now it, it takes a reporter for each town, but they're often working 12 or 14 hours a day on everything from local sports, high school sports, to all manner of they they have a responsibility to get a certain amount of news out of each place uh, as patch suffered in some places they that one reporter was responsible for two communities or four communities so it, it probably wasn't it's encyclopedic uh, if it moves cover it but uh, um, I could see how with limited hours among staff that would be exhausting so a lot of what I think of when you mentioned the phrase a news source would be simply a place where you could publish uh, the latest oral history or here's what this week is going to be in events of a few people who wrote in with the events that they're doing or here is um, the latest from a memoir project or here is a piece from uh, three high school class people that interviewed uh, 
uh, people two generations older than they were about what the town was like then. How do you feel about curation? Uh, now, librarians are good at curating things, uh, but let's say, let's say I was in charge of technology news to curate for, for patrons, and I use something like Flipboard or uh, even something like Apple News where you get to maybe curate it through social media. Um, how do you think a role for a librarian would play with that? I think it's something, it would be a good fit if you were going to do that. But again, you're only curating what's been put before you by someone else who's curated. Right. I mean, I think that that's why something really small, like a newsletter, you can curate however you wish. You know, you could just sit here and here's what we found on Apple News. I'm not sure if you're not a subscriber to Apple News, if you're, the link is still going to work. This is this is my view. It's for a subset of library patrons that that are interested in these topics, mm-hmm. but it, it could really fulfill a need, and it could be much as like East Meadow might do with Geek Day or something like that. It it could be sort of tied into here's what's happening in the world and here's what's happening in our town, where you kind of promote an event. The thing with with news, like now with news apps like like Flipboard or things like that where you can pick different topics and then have it pushed to you. Do you think that something like that is comprehensive enough? Because let's face it, nobody is, not nobody, I won't say nobody, but we're not flipping through the newspaper like we used to. Right. Um, I would even dare to say that maybe we're not going to, unless it's a breaking event, I, I don't see us going to like cbsnews.com or even CNN on a daily basis just to sit and read and go six or seven or eight clicks deep into a, a website to read. We're more getting that, it's that catching you for 30 seconds or they've lost you forever. Right, now. right. right. Yeah. And it may be that it's just that headline and that teaser text for one paragraph that most people will get. They may not click to the link. I think it's still positive because you're focusing Mm-hmm. people in some way that give them the option to go deeper. Uh, I think you should reward curators of all manners. I, um, I, I do think, I mean, if you thought about how can I, how can I help the patrons and how can I make in, it's not going to always work, but how can I make uh, our experience more core to their discovery? Because I, you work here, you believe that it's quality discovery higher quality than you might get other places that you waste your time on, dear patron. So uh, if you just thought of those two questions, how can I make your life fuller with the tools at our disposal and how can we become more central to your life? And everything's organized around those two questions. Maybe relevance won't be an issue. And in that same breath we were talking before about that 30 seconds that you get um, and sometimes there's a catchy headline or something like that. How can we educate patrons to disseminate between real news and what the proliferation of fake news that's out there? I mean, that's kind of a big, daunting task. There, there are the standard programs. There are the standard, here's a one-page sheet for great programs that say that even the Museum for Education, that posters you can get as well. I actually think you should lead with the application. This person thought this was going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. This person thought this was going to happen and was sourced this way. This is why person B succeeded and person A failed. (laughs) You know, you almost have to kind of say, what's the result of not paying better attention to your, it sounds like 
people very close to me might say, what's the result, David, of not paying a little better attention to your stock portfolio after the last week? <laughs> <laughs> so, but there, there might be a real, I mean, you almost have to show that there's a real cost, just as there's a real visceral benefit for using one of the databases at the library. And maybe it's a, then you apply by using this database, by using this thing, you'll have a better chance of getting it right. There'll be other products out there, something called NewsGuard. There'll be other, other products that will, uh, will be sort of a good housekeeping seal for some aspects of news, too. You might, not, might want to say, here's places you could go where your chances of getting spoofed with bad news are higher than other places. You know, so just be if you're if you're on Facebook, even though they're down ranking things now, right. make sure it's about your friend's birthdays <laughs> and the pictures <laughs> of your nieces and nephews. Yeah, and uh, you know, just maybe that's a lifestyle kind of move and not a yeah. all-in-one solution. That's the struggle, though, right? Because um, I know a lot of people that that go to Facebook and go to Twitter, and that's their news source. You know, so they'll be scrolling through and they go, "Oh, did you hear about this?" Like, yeah, but that's not real, you know? So from yeah. a library's perspective, how do we combat that? How do we, you know, because they come in very sure of themselves and very, very. I read this on Twitter and this must be what's happening and this must be what's going on. I think on. you should go. It's yeah. a three-step process mm -hmm. on anything you read. Here's Twitter. Is there a link? Oh, there's a link. Right. Let me look at the link. Where does it go? And, uh, and then is that link, who is that link? And what is it? Like, I saw something yesterday about a great study showing that people were coming out average age at 19 instead of 23 now or something. It would be a major thing. I didn't touch it. No methodology. Even though, you know, your your feeling might be, oh, this is another sign of progressive society. Right. But your mind right. behind the, uh, the, the, the feeling says, I'm sorry, I don't know what the margin of error is. I don't know how many people they interviewed. I don't know who this, this is not a reputable, I, I've right. never heard of this polling group before. Yeah aligned with some commercial company that probably wants ink for their company. So right. I provisionally call bogus <laughs> and move on. It's almost like you have to follow the, the, the tenets of journalism to, to evaluate the story almost. Yeah. And I guess you're right. I mean, my freshman year, I went to a school in Chicago, like maybe a hundred people came in in journalism and usually they, it was like boot camp. Usually 80 survived to sophomore year. And people would say, you know, life isn't fair or just, you know, get yeah. it right the first time or right. whatever. You know, it's just yeah, all yeah. this like tough love kind of stuff. But I have to remember that m most Americans haven't had that <laughs> training and or that abuse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I also worked for AP for about a decade. So um, that helps. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you really, I mean, rarely, if you were going to quote an anonymous source at AP... There, you basically had to state the reasons you had to have that person's like address and phone number right, to right. to a higher editor, and then they had to take it up two levels, okay. and nine out of ten times it would probably be turned down. So you really learned yeah. that you had to have people on the record, even if you couldn't get quite as much of the story. You also knew that people who went off the record, it was probably easier for them to lie because they wouldn't have their name attached to so uh, they whatever they said. They could embellish and they could make it a bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I often felt competitors at lax media outlets would say, you know, that really long anonymous quote sounds just like the way you talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I didn't have that luxury. It was sort of the Marine Corps of journalism. And it, it's helped me in later years. Like, I may not be that good, but people say, oh, you worked at AP for 10 years. 
<laughs> it has its own moniker, moniker of success, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I do think you had mentioned about libraries and newsrooms. and li- I think libraries and journalists and, uh, dare I say, Wikipedians are all in this, um, are all in this sort of club of, of adjacency to creation. Uh, or content editing. I had to create and edit uh, a Wikipedia post from the beginning because somebody working on a project of mine, she's the executive director, had like a one-line Wikipedia entry. And are you kidding? There's won a Pulitzer. She's had a best-selling book. She had heartbreak that the world knows about. But um, to get past the Wikipedia editors, as a somebody who's been edited for thirty some years. I found it was a really tough crowd. You know, I really had to prove this is the point, this is the source, and this is some other things. If it's like that, I'm willing to provisionally admit some of the Wikipedians these days into the content creation club. And uh, maybe libraries should too, you know, as, as these are these are people who are using the resources to try to get the highest... Uh, but because by 2025 or 2030, it's the fifth biggest site on the internet. And yeah. there's just going to be... Where do you... and And... The platforms, Facebook or Google, routinely default to Wikipedia right. because it's one content management system instead of the billions of all the right, newspapers and news media companies. Yeah. It's easier for them. And so they're definitely influential. And we should see. You know, we, should, we should look at all of every community's like Wikipedia page. And is it up to date? Is the picture of the, are the, are the, all the famous people who used to live here right. right? And maybe that's one other place where you build community ethos. You have your, have your website or your WordPress blog or your, your podcast and your linked newsletters, but you also have somebody who's keeping an eye on the better us than somebody else or some deputy that we have, which could be like, a 16 or 17 year old kid right. after three years of this who yeah. has done 170 articles through tough editors so yeah. they have skills yeah yeah, right. yeah. yeah. but we and know you have to catch a train yeah thank um, you so we want to thank you for coming on thank you guys both of you and plugs uh, david plugs for you plugs for oh yeah yeah um on um i would say uh, uh twitter at da beard is where you can find me uh and also uh i do a weekly uh a weekly column for mother jones called recharge and uh you can just find it if you just search mother jones and recharge and it's six stories a week that basically celebrate uh people who um who triumph through good who think about others and uh and times where justice occasionally prevails <laughs> excellent thanks for coming on thank you again david. our pleasure and that's a wrap for our lyric episode for our podcast the library pros we wanted to give a big thank you to lyric for having us come back for our second year uh, appearing in their conference and speaking to their guests and, and um, speakers a uh, big thank you to tim spindler from uh, lyric who uh, agreed to have us not only have us at the conference but also to come and speak to us uh, as our opening speaker and uh, thank you to everyone who appeared and remember if you can to tell your friends about us uh, word of mouth is how we get the word out there about our podcast. And remember uh, to check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And if you like what you hear, uh, you have a comment or a question, you can always hit us up at the contact us page on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Thank you.